Well, I'm going to be talking about three Fs. Fruitful, fat, and flourishing. But first, um, the demographics of, of PPH uh, along the left axis would be the younger people. Um, so this is 13 to 19 years old, 20 to 29, 30 to 39, those in their 40s and 50s and 60s. These are in terms of percentages. Okay, so we have this bunch gone. Some in Labrador Park, some in Batam. Okay, they're not gone, gone, but they're not here. So we are left with this bunch here. Us old fogies. I tried to do a count just now as I was turning back, you were shaking hands. I think we don't have more than 20 people here below 30 years old. How many below 30 years old here? I think less than 20. Um, I've always wondered, you know, like uh, when you were kind of younger, you kind of wonder, what is it like living each day knowing that you're dying if you're older? Then somebody learned, gave me this retort. The retort is, what is it like pretending each day that you're not? That you're not dying, because all of us are dying. So what does it mean now that we have... Um, a very skewed demographics right here in this service. All it means is that we can talk freely about our aches and pains, as old people like to do, right? Uh, someone said that old is when everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. Uh, if you like to use Cantonese, it's, it's even better. Yan lola, moyong you know? Uh, we tend to hear this quite a lot. So today's sermon is Fruitful, Fat, and Flourishing. Um, actually, I changed it on, on Wednesday. Um, when I first started a few weeks ago, I wrote in the, the schedule. The title is, um, is uh, Reflections on Growing Old. Because I knew that this was only one first uh, service uh, today. Uh, then I thought, no, lah, not Reflections on Growing Old. Reflections on Growing Older. Uh, so I changed it to older. Then later on, I changed it. No, no not so nice to talk about old. Uh, bearing fruit in all seasons, which is what you saw in the bulletin last week. And that's why you're here. But suddenly you got hit with growing old. Um, then when I changed it to fruitful, fat and flourishing, uh, Pichu came to me and said, Pastor, sure not, fat. Uh, I said, yeah, it's in the Bible. So let's turn to the Bible. Uh, in Psalm 92, let me read the whole psalm. This is uh, my, favorite ver my favorite version now, the English Standard Version, ESV. And it says, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. And today is the Sabbath, so it's a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. 
for behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers will be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar of Le- in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. And the verse that we are focused on is in verse 13. In the King James Version, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Fruitful, fat. Fat as in full of sap, which is explained in the ESV. Full of sap and flourishing is green, like a green shoot. When you're full of sap, means you are flexible. When you are dry, means you are old and inflexible, right? That's what it means, fat. Well, I need to tell you about a friend of mine. He, I think, is 62 years old this year. And uh, maybe last year I met him. And he tells me that he has never been fitter in his life at 62. Um, Fitter than when he was in his 20s. And he runs marathons several a year. Uh, All over the world he runs marathons. He used to be a sea game sailor representing Singapore. And he was a fighter pilot, which was when I... I knew him in the Air Force, and he was a commander of an air base. He also has a PhD, and now lecturing in NTU. He's a brother, brother in Christ. And actually, he was in PPH for a while when he returned from overseas, and then later on, he went to another church. So how do I respond to him? I'm younger than him by a few years, two or three years. I couldn't when he said he was fitter than he ever was, fitter than when he was in his 20s. But after today's sermon, I think I can. Okay? I'm going to say to him, you are fit, but I'm fruitful, I'm fat, and I'm flourishing. And I believe that all of us oldies can say the same. Another friend I have, uh, same age as me, a teacher, school teacher, used to teach in RJC, then in Hua Chong, then in School of the Arts, now he's in uh, SIM. And he says that um, he, as a teacher... Sometimes he get invited by his students uh, for dinner. So there will be a group of students who are in their 30s uh, who would invite him to have dinner with them. And then he says, they look terrible in their 30s and they look terrible. Some of them have had heart attacks. Many of them are, are obese and they just look bad. And then he will meet us, right? all same age classmates, all 59 years old, we will have dinner together. And he says, you guys look fantastic. You are all fit. And you eat well, you exercise well, you have little financial worries, and you're all looking to do meaningful things rather than climbing the corporate ladder. Hey, it's a big difference between those in their late 50s and those in their 30s. So if we look at this demographic profile um, again, You see that we have 
it's kind of disproportionate that hey, we, in PPH, we really need more young people, you know. We are an aging church, older than this 7209, uh, the, the, the other churches, the 7,209 other people who have done this uh, survey, and we are disproportionate. We have more old people than uh, so-called national average, and we need to turn this thing on the head. But now, when I look at it, after pondering over the last few weeks, I see this as potential, that we have more old people. This is not a plight, you know, this is potential. Um, we have 18% in PPH that who are over 60 years old. We have 39% in PPH who are above 50 years old. Each one of us mature. Each one of us been through the school of hard knocks. Each one of us flourishing, fat, and fruitful. This is a church with great potential. Don't you think? Amen? How do you know you're old? You know you're old when? When you and your teeth don't sleep together. You know what I mean, right? You know you're old when your grandchildren ask you, why do you say you hang up the phone? Nobody hangs up the phone anymore, right? Now you just press N. Right? So what is the meaning of hang up the phone? You know you're old when you cannot walk past a toilet without thinking, I must well take a pee la, since I must go to the toilet. You know? well, this happened to us a lot when a group of us went to Turkey. A group of pastors went to Turkey and all the time we're looking for toilets. <laughs> you know you're old when your knees buckle and your belt will not buckle. Right? You know you're old when sometimes you fill up an online form, you have to scroll a long time to get to the year of birth. Right? Everybody can identify with that. But how do you define old anyway? You know, there was actually an act of parliament in the 1800s in, in England which defined old. And old age was anybody, this is in the 1800s, old age was anybody above 50 years old. That's old. In Japan now, they distinguish between the early elderly and the late elderly. Okay? You are late elderly if you are above 75. Anybody below 75, you are like early elderly. And um, someone sent this to me. Ah, you can see. But that one I make myself. Uh, you know, you can go to Oldify, an app on the phone, and then you put your face there. And uh, it's even got a video where you, <coughs> you can do that, but I don't want to show that to you. It's too gross. <laughs> so someone sent this to me, and like... Youth and young people are 18 to 65. So now, how many of you are youth and young people? You are below 65. Hey. And then in, in the WhatsApp that was sent to me, it said that this comes from who? The World Health Organization. Okay, so I went to search. I couldn't verify it. So it's probably uh, fake news. <laughs> so too bad. It's fake news. But I did... Um, I did read this in the World Health Organization, the World Report on Aging and, and Health, and it says here, these are the slides that they use. Populations are getting older. If you look at the dark blue uh, in the year 2050, a lot more dark blue, a lot more blue, less grey. So globally, we are, we are ageing. And then there's this slide that says, who says that there is no typical older person? The World Health Organization says, there is no typical older person. And I quote here, it says, 
biological aging is only loosely associated with a person's age in years, some 80-year-olds have physical and mental capacities similar to many 20-year-olds. Others experience declines in physical and mental capacities at much younger ages, end of quote. So someone said that old age should be calculated not by 70 or 80 years old, but should be calculated by how many years a person has left to live. And you are not old until you are within, say, 10 to 15 years of dying, some scientists will say. So is old age just a, a, a mental attitude? You think you are young, therefore you are young? Like, um, you don't stop having fun when you get old. You get old when you stop having fun. So we need to turn to Scripture. And Scripture says this, They shall still bear forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. God says that you can still bear fruit in old age and you can be fat and flourishing. So how to be fruitful, how to be fat as in fresh and full of sap, full of vitality, and how to be green, to be flourishing in old age. I think the same way that you can be fruitful, fat, and flourishing when you're young because the principles are the same. The practices may be different. You may have less energy to jump and to run, but the spiritual principles, I believe, are the same. So since we have more older people here, I will now not do a three-point sermon. I will give you a 33% discount, and uh, you only have two points. Easier to remember, right? Um, and it is about being planted and being pruned. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar of Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. So what does it mean to be planted in the house of the Lord? It means to be connected to the source of life, to be connected to nutrients, spiritual nutrients, and the source is a capital S. Of course, we're talking about God. It means to be connected, to be in. And one of the most important passages about being planted must be in John chapter 15, the the one that talks about remaining in God, abiding in God. So let me read this. John chapter 15 from verse 4. And this is Jesus talking about the vine and about growth and about being planted. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. You can see the yellow abides all over the place. You can see the red fruit in these few passages. 
Verse 4, abide in God and God abides in you. Verse 7, God's word abides in you. Verse 9, abide in God's love. So there are these three aspects of abiding. Abide in God, abide in God's word, abide in God's love. Another translation has it, instead of abide, it uses the word remain. Remain in God, remain in His word, remain in His love. And abiding and fruit are interlinked. Apart from Jesus, the vine, we can do nothing. This is what this passage says. So how is the word abide used? So like when we have our diaconate um, uh, uh, voting confirmation, we will have, I don't know this person very well, but I will abide with the majority's decision. That sounds like a very reluctant thing to do. Okay lah, chin chai lah, abide lah, you know? Um, or I say, I am a law-abiding citizen. And that also is kind of like reluctant, right? Uh, only because there is a law and uh, otherwise I get punished. So it sounds like very reluctant, but it's not like that. When Jesus commanded us to abide in Him, He was not just talking about abiding with laws that, that are promulgated by some supreme being uh, uh, laws. That's not abiding, that is just subscribing. You're subscribing to a set of spiritual laws. God wants us to abide in Him, meaning to remain in Him, meaning to know Him. Because He wants us to love Him. Because He wants us to know that He is dependable for all age, young and old. I was having coffee with a friend uh, I used to work with in, in Hong Kong some time ago. And uh, she asked me, what do I do? So I, I was trying to explain what being a pastor is. And I didn't want to talk about KPIs, you know, key performance indicators, and we got this percentage and those numbers and all that. So I just try and summarize it. I say, my job is I keep close to God and I help people come close to God. And in other words, abide. I abide in Christ and I help people to abide in Him. And she then said to me, well, Kokfai, I'm a Catholic and I don't depend on my God. And then I just found it, again, difficult to respond. I was trying to find a very diplomatic and, and evangelistic alpha, EE way of talking to her. But I just couldn't. But in my mind, I was thinking this, then what good is God if you cannot depend on Him? If God is not for you to depend on, not for you to remain in, abide in. Because I'm going to depend on Him for life and for all eternity. That's why I want to remain in Him. So my abiding in, in God will ultimately result in something. Well, will, will ultimately result in me meeting Him in heaven at the end of my pilgrimage on earth. And now I want to in, introduce you to someone who will soon meet God in heaven. Okay, uh, it sounds like I'm cursing him, but not. Lah. It's only because he's like 99 years old. And I want to introduce an old man to you. His name is Billy Graham. This November, he will be 99 years old. Someone asked him, of all your experiences in ministry, what do you enjoy the most? Was it time that you spent with almost every single uh, president in, in, in your lifetime or to meet many, many heads of, of states? Or was it, and before he could finish his question, um, Billy Graham responded, this is none of that, none of that. By far the greatest joy of my life, and I'm quoting here, by far the greatest joy of my life has been my fellowship with Jesus. Hearing him speak to me 
having him guide me, sensing his presence with me and his power through me. This has been the highest pleasure of my life. John 15 verse 1, remember? Abide in me and I in you. And that's what Billy Graham, at almost 99 years old, short by a few months, has to say about the greatest pleasure of his life. How do you abide or remain in something? I think it helps to think about if you want to remain in something, you fit the shape of that something. Right? If you want water to remain in the cup, then the water must fit the shape of the cup. If we abide in Christ, then we must allow Christ to shape us into His mold. We, I, I used this verse earlier as we were praying for Ellen and Jasmine. Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of the heart. The, the, the Hebrew word for delight, if you check it out, says be soft. Be noir. You know, to be soft means to be malleable. Okay, it's not to be noir. It's to be malleable, to be moldable, to fit into God's agenda. The desires of our heart, when we fit into God's agenda, the desires of our heart will be the desires of His heart and He will give you the desires of your heart, which is His heart. That's, I think, the essence of this verse. Likewise, in John chapter 15, verse 7 that we read, John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Whatever we, we wish is whatever he wishes and it will be done for us on earth as it is in heaven. Abide, remain. And... John chapter 15, verse 9 says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And this is about love, abiding in love. There is this perfecting quality about love, this completing, completion quality about love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. This completing, this perfecting of love. So, is there a shape to love? Abiding in love. If there is a shape to love, then I think it is round, right? It's like what goes around comes around and, and tonight we will have a, a wedding rehearsal for a couple from the Chinese Assembly. They will exchange rings and then I will talk about the ring being circular, no ending, no beginning. It's that perfection of that eternity ring. So you surround yourself in love and you surround those around you with love. Abide in love. There is this Jewish legend from long, long ago that when the world was young, there lived two brothers who shared a field and a mill for, for milling a grain. And each night as they brought the grain in, they would divide the grain into two equal parts. One brother lived alone. He was a single. The other brother had a wife and a large family, but they divided in equal parts. And then the single brother thought to himself, it's not fair that we divide the grain evenly. I only have myself to care for. 
but my brother has a wife and children to feed. So each night, he secretly took some of his equal share of the grain, went to the brother's granary, and, and gave it to the brother without the brother noticing. And then the married brother said to himself, it's not really fair that we divide the grain evenly because when I get old, I will have children to look after me in my old age, but my brother got no CPF, so I should give some of my grain to him so that he has more for his old age. So every night this happens, right? They give and they give, and then they find out that they have equal share. It's like, God has blessed me, right? I give, I still have. Until they met in the night, one night, and they realized what was happening. And then, of course, they embraced each other in love. And legend has it that God saw it, and God proclaimed, this is a holy place, this is a place of love, and this is where my temple shall be built. This is a Jewish legend. And of course, then, uh, the Solomon's temple was, uh, was built on that very site. It's a lovely story about abiding in love. So, today's uh, sermon, two points, planted in him, pruned by him. John chapter 15, verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And this is talking about viticulture, the, the, the growing of uh, grapes and grapevines, viticulture. And it is said that 90 to 95% of viticulture is not even so much in fertilizers and how you water and all that. 90% of viticulture is in the art of pruning, cutting. Cutting away the good to make way for the best. So I learned that in pruning a vine, four things are necessary. First of all, you prune away all the dead wood, the diseased wood. They must be ruthlessly removed because this dead wood will harbor insects and disease and it will cause the vine to rot. And then secondly, the live wood, the good wood, it must be cut back drastically so that you, can, you, you prevent heavy growth uh, of the vine, that the growth goes into the wood instead of into the fruit. And so you must cut, 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 cut a lot. Cut away all those that only take up nutrients but does not produce fruit, right? All the jia liao bi, wood part, you cut away. And then, by cutting away, there will be less leaves, and so more light will come in, uh, which is nutrient for the vine. It's also then to provide strength. So you cut away all the skinny, all the shaky branches, because they're not going to bear fruit. Even if they bear fruit, it will droop over and it will die, because the nutrients is not going to get into the fruit. So you cut away all those, and then you will have a strong vine. So when vines are not pruned, it looks like this. It's like all over the place. Right? You just let them grow wild. They're just wild growth. And it's like after the harvest, after the winter, it'll be like this. So the next thing now comes the pruning process. And this is where the farmer goes in and he cut, 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 cut. You know? Um, it, it is said that all the branches that are two years old are not fruitful anymore. So they cut away all those that are two years uh, uh, old. And, um, and when you cut the vine, 
it bleeds. It bleeds, not blood, but sap. Right? You remember when it says, uh, Psalm 92 says, fat, full of sap. So that vine bleeds. It bleeds. How much to cut? A lot. Right? I said uh, the dead ones go, the, the skinny ones go, those that are actually very healthy but bear no fruit also go. It is said that 80 to 90%. Okay? So after you cut everything, it looks like a ghost town. Right? This is the wild one. And then after you cut, 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 it just looks like what is on the right side. It looks, it looks quite dead. But wait till you see the harvest. So what is in the physical? And that's why Jesus chose this example. is born out in the spiritual. And these were Jesus' practically last words to his disciples. The whole reason behind pruning is fruit. Not just some fruit, a little fruit, but much fruit, a lot of fruit. Verse 2, chapter 15 of John says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, but while every branch that does bear fruit, you're already bearing fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And in verse 8, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So what is the spiritual meaning? Especially those of us who are already bearing fruit, that we will be pruned to bear much fruit. It will be painful, we will bleed, we will bleed the sap of the vine, the fat. And, you know, many people talk about the, the Holy Spirit and once the Holy, Holy Spirit zaps you, you're going you're gonna to have wealth and health and, and riches and you'll never be sick and, and all that. But it's not so much being zapped by the Holy Spirit, but it is the sap that flows when God prunes you. And it's not so much happiness, but joy. Joy even as you are being pruned, not just to bear fruit, but to bear much fruit. And God prunes areas in our lives that we are spending time on, that we are bearing some fruit, but not, in, not, not much. And, and it's wrong fruit, and He prunes us. I just think about reflections on growing older. So some reminiscing. You know, one of the my big regrets in life was uh, never getting an MBA. I applied to Harvard and I applied to Stanford. I got uh, Lee Sen Lung to be my recommender. I got Philip Yeo to write for me. And they wrote very good things. I was already a vice president at the time. And I thought, Pao Jia. I mean, who can reject me, right? With uh, big shots writing in recommendations. But I was rejected. But I didn't know it at the time. I was very hurt. Uh, very hurt very tunian, loose face, that you apply and all the office knows that you were rejected. But I think God says, i got something better for you. Didn't feel like it at the time. It's just, you need to learn some humility. It was a pruning. Moses had great talent. He was trained to be this great Egyptian uh, administrator, maybe Pumsac CEO level. And then he was pruned. He was sent to the school of wilderness, to the school of shepherding, to learn something. He was pruned. And I thought I was doing pretty well in the corporate world, you know, like from manager to CFO to EVP within six years, promotion after promotion. Then God says, that's not good enough for you. That's not good enough. You are not bearing much fruit, so chop. Chop away 80%, 90% of what you think is success, of what you think uh, uh, the sources 
of your, your significance and then job until no job. That rhymes, right? Uh, then I was, uh, had a period of, uh, of uh, joblessness and became a nobody. You know, one time when you call, say, oh, this is Tank of Fight EVP or so and so and so. Uh, then now you call up somebody and it says, uh, who are you? Oh, my name is Tank of Fight. From where? And then you cannot answer, right? From where? From, from nowhere. Nobody, no company, no nothing. Um, even in church, right, in the year 1996 when I was jobless, um, I was somebody in PPH. In 1996, I was an elder. I was an elder. And I was in missions. I was a treasurer uh, of PPH. But God says, chop, right? Because there's more fruit. I need you to learn something pastoral. And so I reluctantly went off to Hong Kong to work and then for some strange reason became a cell group leader and learned a little bit about being pastoral. How to pastor. Joseph, son of a rich man, of the line of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, became a nobody, became a slave. So what is it to be planted in him and then to be pruned by him? to cut away not just the bad, but what is good to make way for the best. And every Christian is pruned because God wants every Christian to bear much fruit. Question is, how do we face our pruning? You know, as you age, you saw my picture up there, you look like a prune. That's how I pay, you know. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. It's the pruning process. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away and though your face looks like a prune, our inner self is being renewed day by day as God is pruning and pruning and then we're growing new branches internally, inner self. So the more the pruning, the more the fruits, the more the bleeding as after you get pruned, the sap flows out, the more the flow of the sap, the fat, the more the flourishing. But perhaps some of you, older ones, you sometimes feel like me. You say, oh, I've had a hard life. I am fatigued. My body is flaccid. My spirit is flagging. I am finished. And then you think of retirement. Wow, how nice to retire and then do nothing. Relax, no alarm clock. I wake up, then I go. My biggest stress is where to go for breakfast. <laughs> you know, you think like that. But inner self is being renewed day by day so that we cannot retire. We get retired, right? We change new tires and then vroom, we go again. We are refined by pruning so as to be refired for God. So whenever I feel like retiring, I think of Richard Chia, okay, who is now, he's a year younger than my, no, my same age as my mom, 78 this year, or 78 already, birthday passed. I think of Mary Chang, around the same age. I think of, I'm sorry to say, but Benny Tan, and this is in increasing rank of youthfulness, right? And I feel inspired to carry on. I mean, you should look at Benny's shirt. The other day I was complimenting him on his shirt. 
Wow. Stylo as anything, man. I said, you wear that shirt, it makes you 30 years younger. And of course, far, far away, Billy Graham. 99 years old in November. Still writing, still useful in the ministry. But really, perhaps you still feel jaded. You know, someone said that when you're younger, when you're, say, like below 40 years old, you, you sort of think like, well, things are bad, nah, but still got time, right? And you placate your heart by saying, things will get better, it'll change. I'm going to get a better job or, or a better spouse, upgrade model, or my circumstances will change and then things will get better. But then when you get, get much older and you see that they don't change, Right? The circumstances are not going to change. Right? If you are stuck in this salary and you are 50-some years old, that's it. You learn to live with it. And you're not going to be moving out from your four-room flat one day to a 14-room bungalow. That's it. You learn to accept your circumstances. But what change? You change. Circumstances doesn't change, but you change. And for a Christian, with Christ's peace and Christ's joy, that change is the inner man being renewed. I want to tell you this um, uh, last story as we are about to end. Uh, what happened? Whoops. It just died. This is a movie, Mr. Holland's Opus. Anybody remember that? None of you are. Quite an old movie. I think 1996 or something. It's a movie about a frustrated composer in, uh, in uh, USA, in Oregon. And uh, his dream, of course, is to write his magnum opus, his grand work that will be you know, historical and everybody will play his symphony and all that. But he kept plugging at it, plugging at it but he had to feed his family. So he took up a job to be the, the, the band teacher in a high school, okay? just like a brass band kind of thing in, a, in the 1960s. And his name is Glenn Holland. He, he always thought that his school job is only temporary because one day he's going to make it. One day, everybody will be playing his symphony. So as he was just teaching the, the children, how to play the trumpet and, 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 and all that, simple stuff. His grand plan was that one day I'll be a grand millionaire with this magnificent symphony that I will write. But as years goes on, family demands, children growing up, college to pay for, more and more his dream faded away. It was just normal slogging in a 9-to-5 job not very highly paid. Worse still, at the end of the movie, he was fighting to keep his job because the school board decided to reduce budget, to reduce the operating budget by cutting away what program? Music and drama program. So he was about to lose his job. But of course, he passionately defended it and made many representations. And then there was this grand scene at the end, his last day in school, he was retrenched, last day. And they organized a sort of like 
a last day thing in school. And unbeknown to him, the state's governor of Oregon. Okay, this is fiction. I, I thought it was real, you know. Then when I checked, check, check, it's fiction. But anyway, it's a grand, great story. The governor of Oregon arrived, and the governor was none other than one of his students that he helped to play. I think it was a clarinet. She was a terrible musician, but he, he uh, encouraged her. And this is what the governor of uh, the state of Oregon in this movie said. And let me quote. Mr. Holland had a profound influence in my life, and yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his life misspent. Rumor has it he was always working on this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous and rich, probably both. But he isn't rich, and he isn't famous. So it might be easy for him to think of himself as a failure, but he'd be wrong because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched, and each one of us is a better person because of you, Mr. Holland. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus, and we are the music of your life. At that point, you will cry, man. I tell you, you see this movie, you will cry. It's like me, uh. <laughs> so, what is, what is your opus? Opus is just a Latin word for, for, for work. What is your work? Mr. Holland's opus was simple, just teaching high school students who will never be great musicians and just come and cobble together a tune and, and, and all that. All he needed to be was faithful. But he had this magnum opus. Right, which is Latin for great work, grand work, uh, a masterpiece. Much fruit that he never saw. He never saw until this governor came in. So would you be a Mr. Holland? Not bodybuilding Mr. Holland, Mr. Singapore, but a quiet, faithful person who was willing to be pruned by God. Some of your dreams never came true. But God is just pruning this and pruning that, cutting this away, cutting that away. So that someday, someone will say, you bore much fruit. You don't even realize. And God says we can be fruitful, fat, flourishing. If we say that we cannot, then one of us is a liar. God says in Psalm 92, verse 14, you can be fruitful, fat, and flourishing in your old age. Who are we to say no? We can be just ordinary lives like Mr. Holland, but we will have an extraordinary fruit, huge ones that flow from the sap of God, flow from the Holy Spirit through our very ordinary lives fruitful, fat, flourishing. I really wanted to go into some practical details of, you know, for any one of us who's above 50 or whatever, you know, these are all the areas that you can serve and all that. But um, we, we don't have time and I have not gathered my thoughts together. But last um, Friday, all the elders went to the young, the youth ministry, Lao Jen Leaders Retreat. Uh, in Changi, and we had a very good time. Uh, I think we had two hours of dialogue 
And so I encourage you to join the 8th July one, uh, the 20 to 45 ones for those of you who are still 20 to 45. And you're talking about how, and, and then we hear the cry of the young. We always think that the young will say, your generation gap, lah. you know, we, we don't really need you guys, we don't click and all that. But let me read to you uh, a response from one of them that Joanne sent to me. Uh, I quote, Another part of the retreat that I truly gained much from was the meeting with the elders. I have become increasingly convicted that we need a few older people to influence the youth. I remember Uncle KC. Yeah? Uncle Vincent, uh, Elder Vincent, who is in Vietnam, in, in my brother's time, uh, this person said, so it's like two generations ago. And the meeting with the elders actually reaffirmed that belief. I definitely believe that parents should take responsibility for their children's spiritual growth, and I do believe that we should invest our efforts in doing so. But I also hope to see older people sowing into the lives of the youth. Even as the younger generation start thinking about building the next 15 years of our church, I believe the best conversations we can have come from hearts that are fully convicted that building the church is possible and of great importance. And in doing so, the young people need to listen to people who have gone before us and have experienced living their lives for the mission since their youth. I was so encouraged by this. And we're going to be taking this up further, how practically to do it. But let the will come before the way. Are you even willing? Or you think, I'm so weary? If you're willing, we will find a way. And the next generation will be blessed. So let's pray together. Um, musicians, please come. Word of God says, even in old age, you can be fruitful, fat, flourishing, fresh, green. That grey hair is a crown of glory. It is, grain, it is gain in a righteous life. Even to old age and grey hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. So Lord, open up practical ways for us to remain fresh, green, fruitful, flourishing. And I pray in Jesus' name. Why don't we stand as we...